show um, <laughs> things we learn about ourselves yes that is true um as always i'm I, you know troy patterson and with me is this is where the as always is supposed to go in <laughs> with me as always is i'm sean mcgurn it's good to be with you it is good it's, it's a wonderful saturday and um i think we have some good stuff coming up so you're on a timeline here it's this saturday I'm on a timeline. Yeah, uh, Michigan's playing Michigan State this week. That's true. <laughs> Go on. He, look at that. He, uh, he's already I, over by the TV looking at yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, you know, it, it's it's funny because we were talking to some kids in art class, mm-hmm. and they were going to paint a nude model, but oh. the teacher sent her to the office for violating dress code. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, there was a school board who decided to remove speech and debate from the course schedule. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was no argument. <laughs> With flying colors. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, kid was asked, you know, how come you're not doing so well in geometry? And the kid responded, I refuse to believe that pi r squared. That one's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> and people came and probably, and pro- you know, you'd have to really explain that one to your kids if you're going to use that one with your kids, so. There'll be some that get it. Yeah. You know, and then those that do, I mean, then they'll feel pretty good because they caught it and the others are looking around trying to figure yeah. it out. It's a great moment for them. It's also good if you have the, that one's also partially visual. It's helpful if you have it written out mm-hmm. so that you can see the juxtaposition of the pie Pi R A R E squared versus pi the symbol. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you have to explain. Didn't do well with the jokes this week, so <laughs> if you have some jokes you'd like us to feature, because they've got to be better than what I found this week, just drop us a note at middle school educators at gmail.com. I don't know if we want them to post it at middleschoolmatters.com. No, no, we want them just to email those so yeah, I can use yeah, them. <laughs> I can pretend like they're my very own. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? If they if they send us one and we use it, how about we throw them in the shout-out? We'll throw them in the shout-out. We'll, throw them the sh- we'll give them a shout-out in the shout-out category. That sounds violent, throw them in the shout-out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be some like, middle, some like some middle school classrooms where there's some shouting going on. There you go. Yeah. So. Okay, so we've got some some things from the Twitterverse this week. Yeah, the Twitterverse. Digmo is posting about a competition. Uh, iStopMotion2 has got some stop-motion animation software. If you RSS them and they pick your name from their RSS feed, uh, you could win a copy of their iStopMotion2 software. But they're also holding a competition related to it. Obviously, they want people to purchase the software and use it, but then they want to showcase and show off a number of the things that people are creating using their stop-motion software. So I threw in the uh, link to it. Uh, the competition has been going on for a while, so you would be well into the RSS list. Um, I don't know that they're actually using a, 
you know, first come, first serve thing. But uh, according to Digmo, there's, you know, still opportunities to get involved with that. So I threw it in there in case you want to use it with your classroom. Have you done anything with stop motion? I did pick up some animation software at NMSA a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I did play with it a little bit. Uh, it's still just a well, the, the one I picked up is still just a little bit beyond the learning curve. If I had a third year video productions class, right now I've got first year and second year a split class. Mm-hmm. But if I had third year students, then this is something I would have them try. See, because I taught I taught kids stop motion film way long ago when we were using a couple different pieces of software and what i found it really good for it was a really good for teaching the concept of keyframes and it's really good for teaching kids about what they're watching because they have to create it and then when they go and watch cartoons and watch other things they have a different appreciation for it so it is definitely something that I think you can do pretty quickly, and I don't know what kind of software is available now because this was quite a few years ago. Let's leave it at that <laughs> when I did it. But um, I just did it with a video camera, and I just had them do really rudimentary stop-motion um, films, and they got a, they got a, they got a big kick out of it because, you know, at that point it was something that was pretty rare. I think it's probably a lot easier now. But it still, it wasn't that hard, and it was really important to teach the kids the concept of keyframes, to teach them, you know, how, uh, even about cuts, about how you cut from one scene to another scene and bring things back and movement and how film and pictures really work. So um, it's something that I really enjoyed and the kids really enjoyed, so... And this is a lot easier than what I was playing with with the yeah. animation software. So I think this is much more viable than what I was looking at uh, beforehand. So, but and, and they've got some things to help you with it. So it's not like you're, you know, from from scratch uh, on some stuff. So it was always big. I was also good for naming conventions because the software that I used, as long as you named it correctly, named everything correctly. <clears throat> that was that was the key, because then it would just stitch them together. It would just stitch your images together. So as long as it was movie.01, movie.02, movie.03 kind of thing, and then it would stitch them together. And um, that was that was helpful for <laughs> teaching them to plan ahead. <laughs> Either you had nine <laughs> pictures <laughs> in your movie, which meant you had a really, really short movie. <laughs> and then I had kids coming up with really elaborate stuff. And they would do, you know, up to a hundred. So they'd have to remember to start with that zero zero one. So that's all I have for stop motion. I think it's I think it's really it's nice for kids to see how things work behind the scenes. And I think it goes back to in part it goes back to if we're only teaching kids literacy in terms of the printed word. I think we're doing them a disservice. I think it's very advantageous for them to know how film works, how some of the tricks that people employ to get you to feel a certain way, to think a certain way, or to follow a certain argument. Um, and that includes both logically and design-wise. Oh, it's, it's a great way to integrate a lot of things that are going in the, uh, in the uh, core classrooms. If you're an, an encore or exploratory teacher, this is beautiful for integrating, mm-hmm. having kids see the big picture as to... You're studying these things in your classes, but this is how we take them all and make them work. 
And 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 as you point out, there is, there can be some real connections here. Number one, you can really get kids involved in doing this because they really like when they can create something. And um, you know, I had them creating a, a variety of things. And one of the things I would do is, it, I worked in a smaller school at the time. The kids would have to adopt a teacher, and they would have to do a presentation for the teacher. So I had a lot of them that were creating um, stop. Um, stop motion movies on things like cell reproduction or sciencey topics, and um, we had somebody do something on art once too, which I don't remember exactly what it was. I just remember it was art based. Um, and then we had some social studies things that, that they did as well. Um, so you can tie it into, you know, you can do some interdisciplinary topics. And as an as an encore teacher, as an extended core teacher, you can really get get kids to be part of what they're doing, see the advantages of learning, and really get involved pretty easily. So, kind of a nice, uh, kind of a nice uh, piece of software. Yeah. Well, again, I don't know that piece of software in particular, but I know that there's, I know that there has been stuff out there that allows you to do it. And now I know this this software isn't free, but there is some free stuff out there too. Even I mean, yeah, there's like a Duplex, for example. Well, there's probably quite a few things, but I would also say that this is one of those things that it might be worth the thirty dollars, fifty dollars, or whatever. So check that out too, because. And if any of those companies would like to sponsor us, we'd be willing to talk to them and mention their name frequently on our show. I'm kidding, of course. Uh, I'm, not. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kent Benning, talking about teacher moments. If we weren't, we are now. <laughs> uh, Kent Manning blogged about one of those teacher moments in his week where, you know, you kind of, the light goes off and you go, the, you know, light shines down from heaven, the angel choir sings in the background. Uh, he posted a blog post this week. And you can check out the link on our webpage at middleschoolmatters.com. But I'll read just a little bit of it to you here. Uh, it's called Boys' Engagement, a Moment in a Busy Week. I had one of those I'm glad I'm a teacher moments this week. One by one, some of the boys in the classrooms wa- classroom wandered over and asked, What are you doing? Some stayed for just a moment and others listened intently. Three of the boys seemed interested in what we were doing and were willing to take over the mouse and give it a try. The classroom teacher and I were converting ACC music files to MP3 in order to import them into Audacity and clip segments of sound files. A nifty task, really, one that can be accomplished quite effortlessly with software on our school computers. I explained to the boys in the group what it was we were doing and called it sound editing. We talked about the usefulness of editing programs and the fact that this is a job in the real world. One by one, the boys took over the mouse and converted, imported, and clipped sound files. I wondered to myself why it was just the boys in this class who were wandering over to check things out. Then I sat back and marveled at the learning and discussion which followed. The lads were talking about some of the soundtracks they had recorded in other projects during last year. One boy insisted that I observe as he demonstrated how he could record his voice in audacity. I left the class knowing that I would made a connection with the students. It was one of those moments we all have as teachers that let us know we chose the right vocation. I anticipate there will be more of these moments in the days, weeks, and months ahead, and I look forward to them. Have you ever had a moment like this recently? If so, he'd like to hear you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, we would do. 
And it also brings up uh, the issue of Audacity, too, which is uh, a great open source project, um, software that's available for free, very powerful, a little bit of a learning curve, not too bad, um, and cross-platform. So no matter what you're using, there's uh, a version of Audacity for you. You would have the Audacity to use Audacity. Now, I'd have the audacity to use GarageBand, but <laughs> <laughs> I've also used Audacity, so. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, oh, you know, I was thinking about you when I was uh, when I saw this run across the uh, the Twitter screen. Uh, Bruin Geek says, "No, honey, with the GPS we don't have to ask questions." And no, GPS is not the acronym for General Purpose Shopping. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh. Um, Zemote retweets uh, T. Vanderark. Uh, how will digital learning replace print? Seven forces of change. Uh, no, I had this somewhere here. Oh, and all of a sudden it's gone. Um, um, one, cheap access devices. That's it. When I was superintendent, laptops were $2,500. Now you can get a more powerful network for a tenth as much. No, you really kind of can't. Um, and I'm going to go off on a slight rant with this. You know, I'm working on buying some network, net, blah, blah, <laughs> some netbooks for my school. And in order to get something that is actually usable and useful, they're not $200 or $250. In order to get something that's actually usable for the school, you're looking at at least two to three times that, somewhere in that range. You're looking at much, much higher than... The ones that you, because you can find them for 150, 200 bucks, but to use for kids on network, on a Microsoft network, they're not going to work. They're just they're not going to be able to do it. And now that might be indicative of some of the network things that are in place. But remember, there's also laws that we have to have in place. We have to have some filtering in place, and there's certain things we have to do, and there's certain things people want to be able to do. So people don't necessarily, you know, understand that that $150 netbook is not going to run like you want it to run for the next five years with kids using it all the time. Okay, so there, I've said that. Two, um, <laughs> content. Uh, while most content is, is first-gen, that i.e. flat and sequential, we're beginning to see more second-gen engaging and adaptive. You want to continue on? Are you cut up with us now? I'm, I'm, I'm caught up, but you know what? You're doing a really good job. Three, <laughs> electronic lives of students. Stu kids live in a connected world. So do teachers, but they don't necessarily understand that or process that their life has now changed quite a bit as well. And they don't quite live in this, the connected world the same way. Um, going to school is like stepping on an airplane, all electronic devices off. Enterprising teachers and administrators are combating this premise with connected schools. Yeah, we're still working um, on that. Yeah, and, and, and that part is kind of, that's going to take a lot longer. But there's a lot longer trail line on that as far as getting it done than, than I think can be accomplished in the timeline that he's thinking about. <laughs> yeah, and, and this is a lot more complex than, than we want to think, too. This is not necessarily as straightforward, and if we don't give kids other strategies and if we don't put other things in place, 
just thinking that kids are going to do the right things with everything because that's what we want them to do is naive. So that takes a lot more than what people think. I think. By the same token, too, I think this is this is very forward-looking. I think he's writing it as, as a very forward-looking document mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And I think he's saying, we ought to do this today. Yeah, yeah. well, and but I think this is something that's, you know, there's kind of those two camps in the world. Why can't kids use, and, and cell phones seem to be like the, you know, why can't we have kids use cell phones? They're, they're, they're just kind of the poster child for a lot of this stuff. They're the easy analogy, I guess. You know, these kids have computers in their pockets. Why can't we just let them use them? And then there's, you know, kind of the other extreme of the the, the kid shouldn't have a cell phone with them at all and, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, I, and I think, I don't think either side is really fully conscious of everything. Uh, there's the reality of kids have cell phones with them. And, yes, they could be powerful tools. But there's also the reality of... If you just say, okay, kids, pull out your phone and away you go, um, <laughs> let's just say I don't think they're going to be doing – they're all going to be doing the research that you want them to do in the way that you want them to do it without a lot more structure and a lot more things in place. Well, when Dell makes that little cell phone with a little light on it, it lets you know that the kid is actively using a network when you don't want them to. Yeah, and how long is it going to take for a kid to defeat that one? <laughs> if, if a kid can what, hack the Australian um, filtering system within what? An hour or forty-five minutes. Yeah. You imagine he's and he's not going to share that with all the all the kids. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. here, here's how you turn the light off. I mean, it's a business think? opportunity. <laughs> Just what two or three months when I was in high school to figure out what the poke and peek codes were to to lock the computers up so that the teacher had to restart everything and we got an extra ten or fifteen minutes to fool around in class. Um, number four is demand. Kids want more choices than schools can provide. It's easy to offer in a full array of AP courses by simply opening up the computer lab. <laughs> oh, there's lots of potential there. There is lots of potential, but you also you have to have somebody there. You have to have somebody monitoring the kids. That and so, so they do take a course, um, and and there's another there's another one here um, where they talk about where giving them that opportunity to actually drill down deeper and, and get some some deeper knowledge. By the same time, if that's the case, then the schools don't. There's no need to offer exploratory courses. Tell the kid to go find an exploratory course mm-hmm. and, and just take it. Of course, that means, you know, that you're irrelevant too. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's one of the things that I don't necessarily think teachers are, are I don't think teachers are irrelevant the the question is going to be is what is the role of a teacher going to be in the future because I don't really see just having a whole ton of kids just sit down and at a computer and that's it and they just do whatever they're supposed to do I think that there's other social things that come into play and I think there's other things that teachers need to necessarily do so it's figuring out what that model is going to look like in the future And I think it's important that we do, because I think if we stick our head in the sand and say, well, no, nothing's ever going to change, we just won't bring the technology into school and everything will be okay, I think that is way naive and that's almost um, psychotic at this point. And I think a lot of things that he's talking about are things that are happening or are going to happen. He's just bringing them out, and that's what this list does is it um, brings it right out here. That's good for the conversation. That and when I stick my head in the sand, I just hate getting sand in my mouth. Yeah, I know. 
Bitches. Bless your ears. Number five, competition. You've seen my ears. <laughs> the 30% of virtual learning is hard to ignore. More districts are jumping in and creating their own offerings, often partnering, partnering with a virtual provider. New charter school models that blend online and on-site learning give us a picture of the future. And I think that is absolutely true. I mean, I think if you read Disrupting Class or you read um, Here Comes Everyone by Clay Shirky, you're going to see that, uh, and especially Disrupting Class with this one, is there are going to be charter schools that are going to provide things that public schools are not able to provide. They're going to hit a market that isn't being reached. And they're going to be freed from culture and traditions and history um, to start something new and to make something different that truly is different. And they'll be able to do that much more quickly than an established school will be able to do. Um, unless the established school takes a very proactive, very enlightened approach and says, hey, look, what else can we do? This has a great potential for middle schools to collaborate on um, one teacher developing a, a an exploratory class, which then they, air quotes, don't sell to um, companion districts around the area, or not even around the area, across the country. And then those districts have, you know, provide one teacher to provide an exploratory in a, in, in a specialty area that other middle schools then can jump in with and, and for lack of a better term, Skype in or network in with. Mm -hmm. and create a virtual learning environment create based around the specialties and the uh, interests and the the talents of their local staff that they've already got. So Woodworth would actually have to provide like five or eight of these because, you know, they've got a very talented staff over there at, at a certain particular school in, in, in Dearborn. And, um, yeah, it could be actually a revenue generator within your own state. It certainly could be either a revenue generator or it could help ameliorate some of the expenditures, mm -hmm. which is essentially the same mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, because you could you could make arrangements with others. Okay, I'll provide this, you provide that. Mm -hmm. You could do a leveling out and a balancing there where everybody benefits. It's not a zero-sum proposition. It's something where everybody can gain from it. The sum of the whole would be more of the sum than the sum of the parts. The consortium would just trade, and then anybody outside the consortium would pay. Would pay. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. That would be a model that could be effective. But that takes some different thinking. Um, six, policy. In places like Florida, requirements to partner with a virtual provider are driving expanded online offerings. WA Digital Commons encourages adoption of vetted and state-sponsored digital content. And it's going to be interesting to see where the law goes on this one, too. So, Florida has the biggest virtual school system uh, in the United States, mm -hmm. Michigan, and I think North Carolina, somewhere in the, on the East Coast. Are like second or third or fourth. I was going to say Michigan has got one of the bigger ones, and and it's interesting to think about the the development of Michigan's because Michigan started out as a university level, mm -hmm. and now has dropped back down into more of the uh, K twelve, more of the secondary level, because they found markets. Because universities are going, you know, they kind of do the look around and go, 
we can do that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's let, let's let's take this ship in and um, provide that opportunity. And universities have a lot more freedom than secondary schools do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's easier for them to kind of make some of these changes um, and get things in play. So, okay, seven budget pressure. And this is one that I think is absolutely crucial. Um, A string of tough budget years have resulted in more states and districts to consider open content in place of textbooks. I think budget pressure goes much farther than that, though, because I think the budget pressure is is going to be wielded much more than just textbooks. I mean, textbooks are really chump change in terms of a, a district's expenditures. I mean, yes, you're talking about millions of dollars in in some cases. Um, statewide, you're talking about millions of dollars, but you're, you're really talking about chump change in terms of budget pressure. You know, over it's somewhere over 84% of budget goes to people. And if we can look at some different way of doing things, and, you know, like that sharing of, of things where, you know, one teacher is impacting more students or more places, and you're working within a consortium that I think is going to have that I think is going to come to play pretty soon. The the poster child for textbook open content textbooks is obviously California right now, um, and they're going through some struggles. But so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. There is an eight here. I thought we had seven. Was it seven? Um, I think you no. said seven. Didn't you say seven? There's an eight in here. Um, for the record, I will officially go back and have Troy uh, do post work and <laughs> make it seven if I, if I said eight. Well, okay. I mean, I don't care. There's don't there's an eighth one. There's an eighth one here, so we'll what? do the eighth one. And this, the eighth one, interesting, is Facebook. As folks my age begin to retire, they're, they're, they're replaced by the Facebook generation. Young teachers that grew up in digital soup and assume... School should operate more like life. So, I think that's interesting. And if you look at, um, you know, the popular buzz kinds of things, Facebook and Twitter are the popular buzz kinds of things. And Facebook is ten times as big as Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, 350 million users versus 35 million users. And, um, and it's funded because Twitter's not funded. There's, there's no revenue model for Twitter, Twitter but right. there's a revenue model for Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot of people saying, hey, you know, Facebook, just there, there may be a day in time that comes along and Twitter is no more. Right. Um, and, and it's interesting that who is um, um, part of Facebook as well. I mean, uh, the... The things that the people that I talk to that I'm surprised when they say um, when they say that they're you know they're on Facebook and they've done this and this and this that's was kind of interesting to me as well. Okay, you know, it's it's my secretary that made the type one. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's the back show. <laughs> yeah. the, the part that people don't hear is <laughs> Sean and I have another conversation going on as well where I'm going, Sean, you said seven. <laughs> you really I, did. Look, it's I, in the show notes. <laughs> actually, it's not me. I'm, I'm just quoting the other guy. I'm quoting Zemo. Actually, he's quoting D. Van Der Ark. So That's right. It's a quote of a quote of a quote. <laughs> and there's a, he has a couple of other things at the, at the bottom here as well. Um, we also discussed a couple barriers to change, and I think that's something that we need to get out there as well and we need to put on the table. Um, and his first one is not. It's K-N-O-T. Entwined contracts and policies make changing school staffing structure and schedule nearly impossible. He's right. <laughs> um, my last blog post featured Rochkutship in elementary charter school with a five-period day, including a period in learning lab. Um, and then number two is policy, which goes back to seat time, credit requirements, textbook adoption uh, cycles, etc. I'll make it hard to shift to digital. And three, school boards. Textbook adoption is a traditional role of school boards. Many of them find, many of them don't want to give up the sense of control over instructional materials even though use is sporadic at best. Um, personalized digital learning is coming, but given the barriers, progress will be lumpy, fast in some places, slow in others. And that's true of change everywhere. So um, you can... I wonder if number three isn't irrelevant because most control by school boards has been taken away by the state level or the, or the federal level. Yeah, there's still some basic things that school boards do. Oh, yes. I mean, but not, not textbook adoption. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the major decisions yeah. and things like that. Like, I mean, some some states have entire state textbooks, and that's the right. textbook for the whole entire state. Well, and the, the curriculum is a national curriculum, as filtered through the state. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the state curriculum. We, each state has a curriculum, mm -hmm. but the state curriculum has to align with the national curriculum, and so each school district has a curriculum, but it has to align with the state curriculum. So, you know, we've kind of ex post facto got a national curriculum in place. It's just not perfectly done as well as they'd like it to. So it's an, but that's an interesting, an interesting short article that, that really comes up. Um, and if you want to check out the article, even though we read uh, about <laughs> 95% of it to you, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you can check that out. There's show notes. And where would they find the show notes, John? They're going to find the show notes over at middleschoolmatters.com. Excellent. You notice I didn't say www. That's right. That's right. That's, that's, that's the best, best way to do it. Saving you time and energy. And your W key. <laughs> uh, let's see how about another one one more you all keep going oh, okay all right uh steve harganen is talking about the new weebly for education he, he says it's awesome it's a it's a web uh authoring software piece um it, it's more than just education though i mean they make their money off of business and industry and, and other things but they do provide an education version which they Really discount. Uh, it's forty bucks for the, uh, for lack of a better word, the pro version, I guess. For the, the extended version, for the fully featured knock your socks off version, 
and 10 bucks if you need more than 40 email addresses for 40 student slots. But otherwise it's free and it's 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 very controllable by the uh, by the staff. It's a it's a drag and drop website editor. Uh, it's completely free to education. You can upgrade to a pro account for 40 bucks, but uh, the free service is free. Though you can even use your own domain. It's 100% feature packed. Uh, hosting is included, no restrictions. They give you 70 plus professional designs, or you can customize your own. There's a variety of different content elements, including a poll taker and uh, you can do surveys, you can do slideshows, files, forums, RSS feeds, and other HTML embedded code just by dragging and dropping. Uh, it's got some blogging features to it. There's no advertising, which I think is a good feature. It's one of the things that bothers me about Ning a little bit is if I want to use yeah. it for me. With, I, I mean, I could use Ning if I want to take the time to fill out something on school stationery, send it to them, wait for the, you know, oh, you really are a teacher, and, you know, that sort of thing. Um... And uh, they're just getting started. They're planning on doing some more stuff and, and expanding, integrating uh, Google Webmaster tools, uh, password-protected pages. Things don't post unless you say they post. So it's an idea uh, to look at. Uh, it's worthy of playing with. I have not played with it yet, but I think I might. I, obviously, I'm not going to include my students because that would tick off tech right now, and that's the last thing I want to do. Um, but I, I would play with it just to, you know, see if it's something I should propose to tech. Yeah, and it'd be especially good for either smaller districts or districts that are not um, real advanced. Because if, if you have a district that really gets it um, and has, like, Moodle in place, Moodle can do all this stuff, and you have control over it. But you've got to have somebody in place who really knows that and can do that. Yeah, if you're out there on your own, this is a great solution uh, to, or a great alternative to Moodle. Moodle requires a little more hands-on. Actually, not just a little hand, more hands-on. It requires more hands-on. Uh, and this would be less hands-on, more focus on content creation. Yep. Yeah, with very, well, very, very similar features. So, uh, let's see. Um, what else do we have here? What else do we have here, Charlie? We've got, oh, 70 authors to follow on Twitter. And it says, good for literature students, question mark. Well, you know what? I looked at most of those, and they would be great for teachers, not necessarily for students. So if you're looking for 70 authors to follow in your own PLN on Twitter, there's some great suggestions there. Um, and it's everything from writing and publishing. I mean, some of us listen to Grammar Girl. She also has a podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, you can follow Grammar Girl on this thing. Um, you can follow, oh, let's see, Matthew May is an author, a nonfiction author. Um Dan Pink was the very first one mentioned at the very top page. Uh, and, of course, he's going to be one of the keynote speakers at the National Middle School Association's conference in Indianapolis this year. Uh, author of uh, several books related to uh, creativity and education and thinking. Um, so, you know, take a look. There's some stuff. Not every author will be for you. Uh, there's that wide variety. But there'll be mm -hmm. something there that you probably can find and, and use yourself and that's sort of for your kids some of it I mean, if you're in, in high school probably but middle school kids I don't think it's gonna be for them uh, I love this quote here uh, PLC professional learning communities that confuse talk for action confuse meeting for getting results confuse time together for benefiting students is just confused um, 
Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. That's a quote from Jim Rohn. Russell Tarr found that. Uh, let's see. Oh, I, I thought this was a great example of what Twitter could be. John Becker is on standby at the uh, JFK airport in New York. Mm-hmm. Standby efforts failed. Going to be at JFK for a few hours. Keep me company. So he's <laughs> looking to his PLN to kind of keep him entertained while he's waiting for a flight. I thought that was kind of a neat idea. Um... There was a Department of Education meta-study concluding that online learners performed better than others. And it's not a direct quote to the uh, study. It's more like uh, Don Clark has pulled out stuff from the study to support his point. So if there's things on the other side, they're not being posted here. But some of them are, for example, he makes the point that online is better than face-to-face using the quote that, the meta-analysis found that, on average, students in online learning conditions perform better than those receiving traditional face-to-face instruction. Um, of course, we don't have the background of the study to look at, so we can't say, well, you know, they used these type of students, and the, they were of this multiple intelligence, and they were, we, don't, we don't know that. So you have to take it just at, at what he says here. Uh, the jury's out on blended instruction. Instruction combining online and face-to-face elements had a larger advantage relative to purely face-to-face instruction than, than did purely online instruction. And, of course, you've got your interpersonal folks that kind of like that face-to-face. That's going to really appeal to them, I would imagine. Uh, online and on task. Studies in which learners, in which the online condition spent more time on task than students in the face-to-face condition, found a greater benefit for online learning. This is kind of what we talked about with the, some of the other stuff here in the, in the previous article. Um, so, anyways, there's some neat stuff here to look at, uh, but do keep in mind that He's um, cherry-picked parts of the report. It's not the whole entire report. I think there's a link where it says fascinating report on the page. Click that, and I think it will take you to the to the online report. The report's called Evaluation of Evidence-Based Practices in Online Learning, a Meta-Analysis and Review of Online Learning Studies. And that's from the U.S. Department of Education. Cool. You know, we really would like people to take the time to head over to iTunes and maybe post a review. Ooh. It's been a while since we've gotten a review on iTunes, so we'd like to, to hear that. Or you could take the time to step over to the website and, um, and you know, drop us a comment there, um, respond to an article, something you saw. Or you can always just directly send us your comments at middleschooleducators at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And speaking of time. <laughs> it's that time. <laughs> it's that time. We had something interesting happen. Um, Thursday night, our Duquesne server apparently fried for the district. Oh. And that had a profound effect on the education uh, all day Friday. Because that meant that the digital clocks on top of the TVs did not work. Oops. Just little dashes. And so it was interesting because the kids were now confused. And we had a couple of kids come in late. And so, I, you know, we were having them fill out the little late slip and they have to put what time they came in. And a couple of kids could not fill out the time because we had them looking at the analog clocks. Mm-hmm. So that came up to an interesting kind of issue, and so I started, I went up to do lunch duty, which is, you know, always my favorite part of the day. <laughs> and so I kept going to kids and pointing to the analog clock on the wall and saying, what time does that clock say it is? And it was amazing how many kids got it wrong. Now, a lot of them were just, just an hour off. 
It's 11.40. Uh, okay, we eat lunch at 10.30. <laughs> We're not here for an hour and 10 minutes, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so it was interesting how many kids got the, the time wrong when I asked them to read the analog clock. And that came up to an interesting question. Because, you know, we were, we were, so I saw, I saw a couple of teachers in the hallways and said, kids can't read an analog clock. They said, I know. Because <laughs> 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 by this time they had been through at least two classes <laughs> and then the, the kids were completely confused as to what time they were supposed to leave and all that because we don't use bells. And, um, it came up to the discussion of whether it was necessary to teach kids how to read an analog clock. Because all of the kids have cell phones on them, which have digital clocks. All of the, everybody has a device with them, or they have, you know, a, a digital watch or something. You know, mostly, though, kids look at the cell phone or the numbers on top of the TV, so they know what time it is. And if my assistant principal is listening, no, none of my students have their cell phone on them. <laughs> <laughs> And I plead amnesty for them. <laughs> so and it, it, it started a conversation over whether it was necessary for kids to understand how an analog clock works. Does, is that going to give them the concept of time? Or can they get the concept of time and all of that without an analog clock? And I don't really have an answer. I, I, I I'm... I would be interested to see how our community feels about the analog clock and whether or not kids need to know how to read an analog clock. Of course, it does say something about the uh, about the education system. When when in bells were instituted, it was you know supposed to simulate the uh, workplace, the factory bell, which means really they didn't want them to read clocks; they just wanted them to respond to a bell. Right. Which tells us something about an old model and and there's still there's still especially in high school they have clocks and teachers will tell you they have to have clocks because mm -hmm. how do you know when the learning should start and end if you don't have a clock you don't have a bell um i'm being slightly facetious there so anyway we'd like to know what you would what you would think about that um Next up, you have Meeps coming up. Yeah, well, in our state, it's called the Meeps, but every you know, the, what they're the oats in Ohio, and I suppose they're the Weeps in Wisconsin, and the Aeeps in Indiana, <laughs> Illinois, and the Peeps in <laughs> somewhere <laughs> else. <laughs> but uh, your state, well, it's not all. Um, some state testing is coming up. You know, ours is coming up. This is what made me think about this, and and I thought, you know, do we put on put the pressure on the kids? to perform, or do we soft shoe it and, and try to take some of the stress out of it and say, you know, do your best, and, and which is the best way to go? And I was actually going to put the question to you, because you being the leader of your building, are you going to put the you know, crank down on the thumbscrews and, and have them, you know, kids knuckle down on this, take this seriously, or are you going to soft shoot and say, hey, it's a test, go in there and do your best, but ultimately, it's a test. Don't stress us out over it. Just give us your best. We'll leave the, the question for our community at this point. Uh -huh. That's a good idea. Um, so, you know, let us know how you think about 
how you can get kids to perform the best on the testing, the statewide testing. You had a you had a really neat experience you were telling me about before the uh, show with uh, with a web feature called Dropbox. Yes, <laughs> thought you were going somewhere else there. I'm like racking my brain. What did we talk about? What did we talk about? He's not used to me setting him up. Um, <laughs> so also on the mind is Dropbox. Now we like Dropbox. Um, I like Dropbox a lot because you can have the same thing on multiple computers, and you can go pick it up on any computer that you want. Um, and then I also twisted um, Sean's arm to use Dropbox a little bit because you can also share folders. Mm-hmm. So um, needed to get something from Sean, uh, an audio file, actually. And he was able just to, okay, I'll install it. So I finally got him to install it. And he could just drop the file into the Dropbox and I could pick it up and we were all set. So it was a nice way to get things back and forth. And um, I have a couple of my teachers now using Dropbox for flip charts because we have Promethean boards. And they're able to work on the flip chart at home, and they don't have to bring a a flash drive in and remember which copy is the most current one and all that stuff. It just keeps everything synced up, so it's really, really sweet. Well, Dropbox also added an iPhone app this past week, I believe it was this past week, which is really cool because it means that I now have access to some of the documents that, you know, some of the things that I I don't keep everything in the Dropbox, but um, some things I can keep on my iPhone just synced up automatically. And in fact, they have a a way that you can favorite something and it will keep a local copy on your um, iPhone so that even if you're not connected, you can also use it. So this would be great if you had an iPod Touch, for example. Um, and it covers a lot of different file formats. Um, I tend to use NeoOffice, and it doesn't like NeoOffice apps, and that's because of the iPhone, what the iPhone can read and do and all that good stuff. But it's really powerful. It will sync with pages and Keynote and all that good stuff. So I could see a very, time very soon where you could do an entire Keynote presentation just off your iPhone. Um, you know, hooking up to a projector and away you go. And instead of lugging 50 pounds of stuff around, you could walk into a room with uh, you know, your little Pico projector there, which is the size of a deck of cards in one pocket and your iPhone in the other pocket and a couple cords around your neck and whoop. Boop, 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 and away you go. And uh, so it'd be cool. But uh, I really like Dropbox. And if you're trying to keep files synced up and you work at stuff at home and school, it's really, really cool. It's really, really easy. It keeps everything in line. It's free for two gigs. It's like eight bucks a month for 50 gigs. But um, I just use the free one and I'm pretty happy with it. So you can check that out. I just downloaded the <coughs> Dropbox app for iPhone. While you were talking, and you know, it's what 15 seconds download, it's free. Um, and it should be really easy to set up once I can remember what my password is. <laughs> yeah, I can't help you with that part. Um, in advisory, um, we're going to put a link to an NMSA publication, which is not brand new, but it's uh, a nice little overview. It's a two letter, two page article. Um, and there's a couple of things in there. One of them, I think we, Sean tells me we've done before, but I'm going to throw it out there one more time. Um, and that is to take a piece of string and, ha- and measure the kids, you know, toe to head, and then uh, put that in an envelope or 
um, you know, put a piece of masking tape on it or however, and then at the end of the year, have them pull out that string again and see how much they've grown. Um, and then one that I really like is um, a, a way to show what adolescents stand for. You have them draw an outline of their foot and then list some of the things that they believe uh, inside the outline. Then you can post those up as well. And you could even have fun trying to decide, okay, who is it that you think that foot goes to? And um, so you could have some good conversations around that. So it'd be just a quick, uh, a couple of quick advisory activities. And then Sean has also posted that October is Moya. What is Moya? Moya is the month of the young adolescent. It's National Middle School Association's way to celebrate uh, youth and those transcendence that we all love. Um, and they have, a, they have a, a link to their website. Yeah, the overview is that the October is the month of the young adolescent, an annual international collaborative effort of education, health, and youth-oriented organizations initiated by the National Middle School Association. Moya brings together a wide range of uh, organizations to focus on the needs of, the, of this important range of ages from 10 to 15. Uh, the key points are to the importance of parents to, to celebrate the importance of parents being knowledgeable about young adolescents, uh, the understanding that healthy bodies plus healthy minds equal healthy young adolescents, realization that education uh, young adolescents experience during this formative period in life will in, in, in large measure determine the future of all citizens and that the knowledge that every young adolescent should have the opportunity to pursue his or her dreams, aspirations, and post-secondary education should be a possibility for all. Uh, there's some partners. Um, and there's a whole long list of them. I am not going to read them. One of them is Calvertin, Ripken, uh, uh Junior Foundation. Uh, yeah. You can plan your celebration using uh, some ideas that uh, have been done in the past. A shadow day is a good idea. Bring those people from your community in. Actually let them see what those uh, middle schoolers are capable of doing. It's a great way to dispel stereotypes of what middle schoolers are. Um, there's some student engagement activities. You can, uh, they've got some proclamations written up so you can have them submitted to your city council and have them, you know, resolved, you know, this being the month of the young adolescent, you know, that, uh, all those great things that are kind of nice to hang on the wall. And then uh, there's some, also some contact information if you're looking for questions or want to get some folks uh, involved with what you're doing. Excellent. Uh, we got some things for the web spotlight this week as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> we have some things for the web spotlight. Is one of those little indicators that you're talking next. <laughs> you know, that pronoun thing again. <laughs> I actually looked at the person and I thought, oh, try added one. Nope, that was mine. Uh, Educon 21 is going to be at the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania this year. Educon is a great way for uh, connecting uh, educators across the country through Twitter, Facebook, all these other different um, web X.0. Uh, methods, and they get together in a physical location once a year, and l last year it was in Boston right before Alan November's annual tech conference. This year it's going to be at the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So make some plans to, if you're in the area, to head over to EduCon and meet some wonderful folks. One of the great features that they do, and I think we ought to do at, uh, at MAMSI, is have a, a Web 2.0 session it's a, where it's maybe 30 minutes or an hour, and everybody gets three minutes, and you can you you, you pick a web X.0 um, feature that you like, 
you can get up to the podium, you got three minutes to talk about it and show it on a, on a data projector, and then the next one. You just rotate through and you get all, uh, uh, a brief exposure to all these really great um, web apps or web potentially web-capable things that you, know, you can use with your students. Um, they do that at, at Educon, and so when you come, come prepared. Uh, to, to present one, but it's, it's just pop, 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 pop with all kinds of ideas. Have you ever used StumbleUpon? Uh, I have to, I have to say, it's one of those things that I keep thinking I should use, and then I don't. StumbleUpon is kind of cool. Uh, StumbleUpon literally is what it says. It's a website, uh, StumbleUpon.com, mm -hmm. where you can sign up, and it'll just take you to a page. It just you happen to stumble upon it, and they've got a whole bank of these really cool web pages. Uh, and then you just hit it, and boom, you, you just go to one. It's, it's completely random. It's not necessarily planned or anything. Then um, boom, you, you, get, you land at this website. You don't like it, do it again. You don't like it, hit the button again. And you just keep going and going and going through these through these web pages, and you'll find something that you find interesting and, and possibly useful in your classroom. I wouldn't do it live in front of the students. Right. Right, this would be things. They also have, because I did this a long, long time ago, they also had a toolbar, too, which was... Oh, yeah. Something that I think they gave you things kind of like the site you were at or something like that. I don't remember. Yeah, you could find things that were you're right, that were similar to what you were currently yeah. looking at. Yeah. So I did it a long, long time ago, but we're talking a long time ago. <laughs> so, okay. Um, also, we have View is now updated. Um, they have a new beta out, View 3.0, and View is the visual understanding environment. Thus, view, V-U-E. It's uh, an open source project. It's based out of Tufts University. And this is really, really powerful software, cross-platform. Um, I've just kind of dipped my toe in with some of these things. And it's an easy way to do mind maps if you want to start with mind maps. But it is, it can do so much more. I just haven't had the time to really dig into it and figure out exactly how to use it and, you know, where and why. Um, but if you take a look at um, at kind of some of the things that they do, um, they, they just, uh, they have, they're, they're designed for college. They have presentation aspects to it. They have research aspects to it. Um, it's one of those things that I think probably my brain isn't necessarily wired to really automatically get all of this, but um, they they really have some, some cool stuff. So um, something that I want to make people aware of. And even if you just use it for the mind mapping part and you like mind maps, it's, uh, it's very worthwhile. It's very easy to use that way. Um, so I would definitely suggest people check that out. You can do the rest of the show. I'm just going to stand, stay over here at visual understanding. It's, it, it, it is very powerful, and if you start to really grasp what it can do and how it can do it, I think, because uh, I've seen some of the presentations that it does, it's really, really powerful. It's just getting to add that tool into your arsenal, I think, is um, is uh, very would be very useful. In some ways, it reminds me of Prezi. It's not, it's not a Prezi, but in some ways, it reminds me of Prezi. And I haven't had a chance to play around with Prezi very much, so um, it could be. But like I said, it's open source, it's free, it's something you can just play around with as well. 
I've used it to create mind maps, um, you know, in times when I've had to do that. And I, that part, it works very fine for. I know that I'm just scratching the surface of it, but at least doing that is, uh, you know, I found it useful for that. And it's free. So, you know, you got to like free. Uh, and it works well. There's some some, some of the things in the news um, in that <laughs> we're kind of running short on time, but we'll do a, just a... Uh, kind of referred to the website on a couple things with with the news. There was uh, there's some interesting discussion about teachers coming from the federal government and how prescriptive the federal government should be um, in boosting teacher effectiveness. And they're largely talking about Title I because that's the money that they have some oomph with. But there's a lot of differing, differing opinions about incentive pay programs, the role of test scores, the role of evaluation, and the role of the federal government in that. So there's, we're going to put a link to that article that uh, is, could be a very good discussion uh, with, your, with your staff, with your friends. Take a quick look at that. Um, another thing that is one of my personal interests is online education. Um, that's one of those things I'm trying to really get a grasp of where it's going and how it's going there. Um, grew 13% last year, but it had been growing at a 20% um, rate. Um, and there are some people that are saying that online learning has plateaued until there's further innovation, until there's something else that changes. In other words, we're kind of maxing out the amount of stuff that we have available with our construct, our current construct. And it's going to take a new construct and some new tools, um, and then we'll see, we'll see that kind of um, upswing in, in online learning again. So um, I would encourage people to check that out as well. Um, I know we're looking forward to NMSA. Very much so. Very much so. That's coming up uh, November 5th through 7th. Um, so there's some things you can check out there. Um, and uh, we have to get some things together yet, but uh, we'll be ready to go. Uh, I'm absolutely certain of that. Uh, we would, we're, we're going to get to the point of begging pretty soon. Um, people to head over to iTunes. And since the show is essentially over, now is an okay time to do that. <laughs> Head over to iTunes and uh, just do a review of the show. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you'd like to see us do better. Tell us what you like. And tell us what you like. <laughs> and, um, you know, head over to the website, middleschoolmatters.com. And you can post a, a comment there on any of the, the shows. You There's... Email link so you can email us as well. It's kind of the hub for uh, what we do on the weekends um, while we're just kicking around. So with that, oh, and, and we're always looking for advisory ideas. So if you have jokes or advisory ideas, please send them to us because um, that seems to be one of the things that people really like is the uh, advisory ideas. So uh, you got a good one. Send it off to us. With that, until next week. This is Middle School Matters for middle school educators who care. <laughs>